and then often the the final author or the you know the the senior author on the grant they might have much more so 50 to 100 wow. publications in the previous 5 years and i remember one application the investigator had 240 <laughs> publications <laughs> something Everyone, to aspire to <laughs> yeah You've been listening to Dr. Rebecca Bergen, Senior Research Officer at the Cancer Council Victoria, discussing observing NHMRC funding panels. You're listening to Cheers with Peers from the Primary Care Collaborative Cancer Clinical Trials Group, PC4, who support the development of high-quality cancer research in primary care. Welcome to Cheers with Peers, a podcast from PC4 that helps researchers lift the lid on the genie's bottle that is the NHMRC, helping make all our funding wishes come true. I'm Sabelle Sayer, a PhD student working on bowel cancer screening in primary care. In today's episode, you'll hear from Dr Rebecca Bergen, who is one of the lucky few chosen to observe the NHMRC funding panel discussions in mid-2018. How do early career researchers participate in this process and what gems of knowledge did she bring back? Has it strengthened her ability to write grant applications? We'll find out. Thanks very much for joining us, Vic. So firstly, perhaps can you tell us what was the process for you to get selected to observe the NHMRC funding panels? So to be selected, I was actually, I guess, offered by the head of our department at Cancer Council Victoria to sort of see if I wanted to to attend an, as an observer of the NHMRC project grants. And I guess I leapt at the opportunity. Yeah. But I guess to be chosen, you had to be an early career researcher. And that was defined, it may change uh, in the future, but at the time it was defined as someone within five years of completing their PhD. And I graduated early this year, so I snuck in. <laughs> and then the, the other thing that you needed to have done or not have done was to have been involved as an observer before mm-hmm. or to have served on an NHMRC panel. And the institutions as well, I should say, that are invited so that they they can invite early career researchers are institutions that have to be affiliated with NHMRC. Right. And was it just a process of luck that you got to be selected or did you, did you have to write some sort of application for Cancer Council to send you? I didn't really have to write an application. I had to put my, my name and my details on a form that the head of department sent me and I had to indicate as well what were my key research areas. Mm-hmm. So the idea being that you are not put in to observe a panel which is in your kind of area of research because otherwise you might know someone in the room and the, sort of the idea of the program is to sit in on the panel as long as you can and to watch the process for the whole day and not have to go in and out in case you knew another researcher. Mm. All right. Okay. And so what was the demographic of the other type of people who were observing? So I guess they were all early career researchers, but uh, perhaps PhD students eligible or or what type of people were there? So they were all post their PhD and I think within five years, perhaps most of them, I suppose I had to be from the from the criteria, I did get the sense though that I was probably one of the newest right. ECRs there at the meeting and a, a number of them had talked about that they'd already submitted applications to NHMRC. So I felt really lucky that I was kind of at the stage where I haven't ever mm-hmm. done that 
before. So I really got to kind of absorb what was what was happening and try to learn what are some of the strengths of some of the projects when they're discussed. Great. And I know that you can't tell us everything that you observe. And so perhaps you could take us through how they actually reviewed from start to end a grant. I found this really fascinating and I guess reassuring as well because it was a really clear process. And I guess the process really started from what what we were seeing were the panel, so a group of experts in a particular field sitting in a room and discussing the projects that had already gone through I guess a review process already. All the project grants that were submitted that year get reviewed by an expert, an external expert, and then also two people on the panel. They score the project and then projects with a certain score will then go on to have be discussed in these panel discussions. What happens first, it was quite a, you know, step-by-step things happened in order. And the first thing that happened was that the chair announced the project name and also the investigators on that project. And then if anyone in the room had a conflict of interest, they were out. Mm. So they left pretty much straight away. So the chair then announces who are the spokespeople for a particular grant. And there's an SP1 and an SP2. And these are people who have read the project grant in great detail. And they are people who have put an initial score against the project and they're scored on a really quite clear sort of rubric and that's three scores. One is for scientific quality, another is for the innovation aspect of the project and then finally there's a score as well for the feasibility of the project and the team. So SP1 is the person who introduces the project to the group. They talk about the strengths and weaknesses of the project And so SP1 and SP2 announce their scores and then they discuss the the strengths and weaknesses of the project. So SP1 talks about the overview of the study, the strengths and weaknesses, and SP2 summarises what the external reviewer reports were. So sometimes there were one or two other experts from around Australia or internationally who've read the project and give their comments. And so the SP2's job is to really summarise those reports and also to discuss the rebuttal that's written by investigators after the sort of initial round of comments have been put together. Does that make sense? I think it does make sense. It does sound (laughs) quite complicated. So you've got your SP1 and SP2 reports and then do the other members of the panel, have they read the grant? Do they, they know it at least vaguely what it's about? Generally vaguely. Some people had looked like they'd spent quite a bit of time and looked in quite great detail at some of the projects. Others was a little bit unsure how well read they were in a particular grant. They are supposed to read them all, mm-hmm. but certainly that probably would be quite difficult. There were a yeah. lot of a lot of projects discussed. It took yeah. about 20 minutes mm-hmm. for each project grant that was was discussed. And then did they come to some sort of consensus mark for the for the whole grant from the panel? Yeah, so after the SP2's sort of summary of the rebuttal, it gets opened out to the floor. So then there's this open panel discussion led by, I guess, the chair. There's also a secretary in there who just dis- who summarizes the discussion at the end of that that sort of more group panel talk. 
and then they really pick up, okay, this is what we talked about. These were the strengths. These were the weaknesses in the application in those three key areas. So the scientific quality, innovation and feasibility. And then the panel can either disagree or agree with that summary before they move on. The chair then asks the spokespeople, one and two, what are their final scores? So they have the ability to change after hearing the discussion from what they said initially at the start of the the panel to afterwards. So so after they get these final scores, the chair then asks if anyone else on the panel, because they, they also vote, mm-hmm. if anyone else on the panel would vote two or more scores away from what the spokespeople did. I'm not exactly sure why they do that. Perhaps it's something they maybe work with later. Mm-hmm. I don't know. And uh, did that happen at all? It did relatively rarely. Okay. So, yeah, most of the time the panel seemed to be in accordance with sort of come to some kind of consensus. Mm-hmm. But in, in some cases there were some differences of opinion right. in the group. Very interesting. So everyone votes. They are there at their table. They've got a laptop in front of them. They vote there and then. And then there's a an NHMRC representative in the room who collates all those scores. And if the score is above five, then the panel discuss the budget. Right. And this is a five out of seven, isn't it? Yeah. Very arbitrary range, one to seven. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and so if, if a project's below that, they don't discuss it any further. They move on to the next one. But after that, the spokesperson two then introduces the budget. They make comments about any changes, whether they think it's a justified budget, any areas of uncertainty. And then there's a brief discussion again before they yay or nay the budget, Mm -hmm. signed off by the chair, and then they move on to the next one. Wow, and that takes 20 minutes. Yeah, they fly through it. (laughs) (laughs) And so I'm sure I should know the answer to this question, but for project grants, the investigators don't get, apart from their initial right of reply, they don't have any sort of interview. Is that right? No. Oh, wow. Not that I... I know of. Yeah. And I know that you didn't observe this bit, but once the panel discussion is is over, I guess they've got a final mark. Mm -hmm. And then what happens? How do they actually decide who will be funded? From what I could understand, the so all of the marks from each of the panels then go into a big pot mm-hmm. with everybody's scores. I don't know if they do some kind of waiting to mm. see if perhaps some panels were more generous perhaps than others. Yeah, that'd be interesting. It's essentially they said they then rank those at the top of the list with the highest scores, get the money they ask for, and then they just go down the down the list until there's no more money left. Wow. <laughs> there you go. Mm. Okay, so with all of that in mind and everything that you observed, what was the biggest thing that you learned while observing those panels? Did you take anything away that you think will help you write a better grant that has more chance of being funded? Well, I think there were several things that I guess seemed to come through as important. One of the things that was really clear, and I guess I was in panels there, I had really very little understanding of of a lot of what they were talking about so this was often basic biology stuff there was a a panel I was in which a bit more clinical so a little bit more relevant but even so there were sort of some themes I guess across these these panels that that seemed to be important and one of them was having 
clear aims and outcomes mm-hmm. and whether they're logical. So do the do the aims join well together? Is there an overall aim? And if sort of one aim really depends on the success of the previous one, there was a little a bit of a weakness. Bit of a yeah. Mm. There was a little bit of uncertainty about whether that was going to be able to be done. Right. There was some talking about tact. Well, it seemed like tacked on to aims. So you might talk about developing something which might be really early stage development, and then the the sort of the final aim was well, then we will change practice, which <laughs> a bit of a leap. Yeah. So there were these. Red idea flags. that yeah. that some of those aims might not be not be able to be reached. Mm. Another thing that people had asked me before I went to the panels was how important is your rebuttal? And so I was paying attention <laughs> and it seemed to be really important. So there was that SP2 whose job it was to to look at that rebuttal and they often talked about whether it was convincing or not. And I guess trying to address all the questions was something that was seen as good, whether you managed to address all the queries. And were there any particular characteristics of the researchers themselves that made you think that they got higher marks? Yeah, so in the feasibility section and the, the team section, this was really where they, where they talked about the investigators. And it was certainly clear that having a strong publication track record was was seen quite favourably. And so there was some where they talked about sort of early or mid-career people and, you know, looking at their publications in the past five years, 15 or 30 to 50 publications were seen as a very strong application. Mm -hmm. And then often the the final author or the, you know, the, the senior author on the grant they they might have much more, so 50 to 100 wow. publications in the previous five years. And I remember one application, the investigator had 240 <laughs> publications. <laughs> Something Everyone, to aspire to. Yeah. <laughs> so I've been told that the emphasis on quantity of publications is becoming less important in comparison to quality of those publications. Do you think that was reflected in what you saw or was it just a, a number? There there was a little bit of discussion about where people were on a paper. Mm-hmm. So if someone had 15 publications, were they first? Mm-hmm. That was seen as, as better. They also, I didn't mention this before, but they did talk about career disruptions. So that was noted at the very start of the panel discussion, whether some of the investigators had had a an interruption. Some people talked about whether the publication was in a good quality journal or not. In some cases, it, it was clear that if you were publishing in good quality journals, that was even better. Mm-hmm. But having having a number of publications was also important. Very interesting. Mm. So this podcast is supposed to be five questions, but I think I've asked you many more than that because this is so interesting. But I know that you did a bit of recon which, with the NHMRC staff after the observation. So I'm wondering what gems of wisdom did you bring back from them? Yeah, that was a really interesting conversation and I'm glad I snuck into the office and got <laughs> talking to one of the girls there. So I was asking things like, like, how many applications did you have this year and how many did you have last year? So they had 3,400 last year, Wow. 14% 
success rate, but they had fewer this year. So they had 3,100. And about half of those then get into a panel review. Uh, So it's quite a lot lot of work that they're doing. She was also really interesting talking about potential changes in the future as sort of the the grant structure is going to be changing at NMH and MRC. She was talking about perhaps virtual panels and they, they were talking about trying to encourage more diversity on their panels as well. So more women, for example, people from different states. As she was saying, New South Wales and Victoria mm. are often well represented because we have a lot of researchers. But trying to trying to get different people in was something they were looking to do. Thank you so much, Beck, for sharing all of that with us. No the last thing I need to ask is uh, what podcast have you been listening to lately? Well, I have to confess I am a little slow on the uptake of podcasts, <laughs> but can I ask you whether you have any any suggestions? Yeah, well, what I've been listening to lately is something called The Teacher's Pet, which I'm sure lots of people have heard of because it's incredibly popular. It's it's being recorded and produced by the Australian newspaper and it's about a unsolved disappearance uh, of a woman in, in the early 80s in Manly. Mm. So, And it's really interesting because things keep developing even now and they keep updating the podcast as they release new episodes. So it's a very interesting one. So I'd recommend Ooh. if you like true crime to get onto that one. Sounds good. Great. And as this is Cheers with Piers, cheers to you, Beck. Thank you. That was Dr. Rebecca Bergen. Thank you for listening. Our next season of Cheers with Piers will be hosted by Dr. Jennifer Walker, a mid-career researcher who will explore making the transition from an early career researcher to mid-career researcher and beyond. Thank you for listening to Cheers with Piers, produced by PC4. Do let us know what you think about this episode by emailing info at pc4tg.com.au or keep in touch via Twitter where you'll find us at PC4TG. Don't forget to visit PC4's website, pc4tg.com.au.